Welcome to the 398th of the COVID Calls. This is a daily discussion of the COVID-19 pandemic with a diverse collection of disaster experts. My name is Scott Gabriel Knowles. I'm a historian of disasters at the Korea Advanced Institute of Science and Technology. I'm coming to you live from Daejeon, South Korea. Today, I welcome Hannah Kim and Jun Yi Lee to discuss their work on climate change and climate adaptation in the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change during the COVID era. Just a reminder, you can usually catch COVID Calls live on weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Just go to the COVID Calls YouTube channel to watch. You can hear COVID Calls anytime recorded as podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, or anywhere you get podcasts. You can also keep up with COVID Calls via Twitter using the handle at US of Disaster or at COVID Calls. Please help spread the word and send suggestions for future guests and future topics. And as always, please feel free to suggest yourself as a future guest. As of today, January 13th, 2022, there are 6,166 deaths from COVID-19 in South Korea. That's according to the Johns Hopkins University Coronavirus Resource Center. I've been reading an obituary or a story of advocacy for those impacted by the pandemic, and I'd like to continue that now. Headline is, Surging COVID-19 Cases at U.S. Bases in South Korea Prompts Emergency Meeting with Health Authorities. This appeared in the Hankyore, January 11, 2022, and was written by Jang Hyun-yoon. South Korean disease control authorities announced that an emergency meeting was recently held with U.S. Forces Korea in response to a spike in confirmed COVID-19 cases at U.S. military bases in the country. The authorities explained that they had held discussions with U.S. Forces Korea, or USFK, on a stronger disease control response with plans to step up disease management efforts within the community. On January 6th, according to an announcement, we held an emergency meeting with USFK for sharing information regarding the situation of confirmed COVID-19 cases on military bases and to discuss measures to step up disease prevention and minimize transmission within the local community, explained Lee Sang-won, head of the Central Disease Control Headquarters Epidemiological Investigation and Analysis Team, during a scheduled briefing Monday this week meeting came in response to a recent sharp increase in COVID-19 cases within USFK. Between December 28th and January 3rd, the number of confirmed COVID-19 cases within USFK rose by 682. USFK is to increase working from home, improve testing within bases, and discourage people from using multi-use facilities outside of the bases, Lee explained. South Korean government is also stepping up its community disease management for example, by encouraging residents of regions near USFK bases to receive a third vaccine dose, he added. Disease control authorities plan to continue discussing progress at weekly meetings attended by USFK, the Korea Disease Control and Prevention Agency, and the relevant local governments until the current wave subsides. In response to the sharp increase in cases, USFK moved on Saturday to increase its health protection condition, or what they call the HPCON, 
that level from Bravo to Bravo Plus. HP Con classifies risk levels on a scale from Alpha A, Bravo B, Charlie C, and Delta D. The increase in the HP Con levels means that unit members are restricted to visiting Seoul only for activities related to official duties. They are also barred from visiting clubs, bars, theaters, saunas, and outside health facilities. The HPCon guidelines apply not only to USFK troops, but also to civilian employees, family members, contracted employees, and anyone else entering USFK facilities. On Friday last week, South Korean President Moon Jae-in called for, quote, close cooperation with USFK, more comprehensively managed disease control efforts to bases and troops. Okay, I'd like to turn to the conversation for today and let me introduce my guest, Tana Kim is an assistant professor in the School of Humanities and Social Sciences at the Korea Advanced Institute of Science and Technology. She received a PhD in Energy and Environmental Policy from the University of Delaware. Her research interests are equity issues related to energy and climate change policies, energy transition, and non-state stakeholders' responses to climate change. Currently, she's working on several research projects related to sustainability issues in urban areas. My second guest is Junyi Li. Junyi Li is Associate Professor of Research in the Research Center for Climate Sciences in the Busan National University. She's also the Associate Project Leader of the Institute for Basic Science, the Center for Climate Physics. She holds a PhD in Atmospheric Sciences from Seoul National University. She works primarily on Earth system predictability, including not only physical variables, but also biogeochemical cycles on ultra-intraseasonal interannual to interdecadal time scales. She is a core writing team member of the IPCC's sixth assessment synthesis report. Junyi Lee and Hannah Kim, thank you so much for joining me on COVID calls today. Good evening, everyone. Hello. And I owe you both a, a special thanks also for for rescheduling this session and also we're just a few minutes late today because the internet inexplicably went out minutes before we were supposed to start so thank you for your great patience and uh, let's go ahead and get started uh junior let me ask you first um if you wouldn't mind just tell us where you're calling from and what the pandemic situation looks like there and first good morning good afternoon and evening uh depending on where you uh, your time journeys uh, i'm junior Lee calling from Busan, South Korea. Uh, so actually here in Busan, uh, we haven't had any serious lockdown because actually uh, we are controlling well uh, the COVID situation. But for the last uh, few weeks, uh, we have increasing positive cases. And today it's about 162 cases in Busan. And the Busan population is about 350 million. So uh, uh, in this sense, I think we are still doing okay. What about it in your university? Do you have some special controls in place there? Are students um, in the fall, were they there in person or were they remote primarily? Uh, so uh, for the undergraduate student and for the lecture with a large number of students, uh, we are doing online uh, classes. Uh, but for some lectures like maybe with the 20 uh, less than 20 uh, numbers of students we are doing in-person uh, classes and especially uh, i'm uh, still have in-person classes with uh, my 
graduate student. Hannah, let me turn to you. And uh, you and I are both in Taishan, so uh, I won't necessarily ask you for the update on the virus situation here. Although I, I would maybe pause here for a second and note that the the death rate from COVID in the last 30 days in South Korea has been startling. You know, in the international news, the United States takes up too much space. But that number um, has was almost 2,000 which makes up a very large proportion of the overall death total from COVID in South Korea throughout the entire pandemic. Hannah, I don't know, has that, a, the way you've been watching that, has that affected government controls at all? Have you seen any impact of that in, in Daejeon or on campus? Uh, actually, as you know pretty well, uh, okay, I can see some, I can listen to some howlings. I don't know it is okay. So as you know pretty well, we are in the same city that the, as I know, uh, as I know, we are having the, we are having the, the normal lives in South Korea, thanks to the government strict policies. And as you pointed out recently, the death rate are increasing, but however, still people around me uh, kept, I believe, Keep their normal normal lives, I think, and also uh, when it comes to the campus, recently we can see some spikes in the uh, cases, positive cases in our campus, but still I think it is controlled pretty well. Let me. Um, one of the questions that I've been asking guests is if they wouldn't mind sharing a personal memory of this this time period. And Junyi, let me turn to you on that On that first. Um, I know it's hard maybe to choose one thing, and we've been at this for almost two years now, but is there something that really resonates for you about this time? So, you know, uh, in 2021 and 2020, uh, uh, I mainly working for IPCC report. Uh, then this pandemic uh, has increased my workload a lot. <laughs> so uh, basically, I'm too tired with uh, a lot of online meetings. And usually those online meetings are in the midnight in Korean time to have more people worldwide. So <laughs> yeah, I'm very tired. But anyway, I finished with the uh, working group one report and now I'm working for synthesis report. And the report will be finished by this year, September. So after that, pro probably I will be more relieved. But right now, yeah, I'm too tired. And I really miss uh, kind of international in-person meeting, you know, uh, communicating with other researchers worldwide. I guess, you know, it's one of the things, you know, you're going to be busy if you're working with the IPCC, but I guess there's some measure of fun associated if you know that you can travel and meet colleagues internationally. And now, none of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hannah, let me ask you the same question just about if you have a memory that really, you know, sticks for you during during this time. And Hannah, I think we were getting just a little feedback. I don't know if you have headphones there that you could put on. If not, you might just want to turn down the speaker slightly because I think we were you, you might have been getting a little feedback before. Okay, now I turn down my speaker's volume or I think it will be helpful. Sounds so good. I cannot uh, point out one moment, but the 
as a new junior faculty member who just joined in this campus. But uh, compared to the uh, senior professors in our university, I heard from them they had a pretty close to they they had a pretty close relationship with the, their cohort in other department thanks to the various in-person meetings at that uh, held at that time but however our cohort newly joined faculty members could members could not have the kind of opportunities to meet each other in person so i lose that point and i cannot get back that moment uh, permanently. So that is quite trivial compared to the serious and profound impact of the COVID-19 on other people's work. But uh, that is the, uh, the memory of the pandemic to me. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I arrived here in Korea only this past year in February and have had a quite similar experience. You know, colleagues have been very warm and welcoming, but a great number of them I've only met on by email. Um, and and if we do meet, it's for you know coffee outdoors or something like that. And now that it's cold, that's not that's not happening either. So, uh, well, thank you both for sharing those memories. I, we're going to talk about the IPCC, and I think as we start, Junyi, maybe you could start. Maybe members of the audience don't even know what the IPCC is. So let's start with that. And then let's talk about, maybe you could talk a little bit about your role uh, on the sixth assessment report. What does it mean to be involved with that report? Uh, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, uh, is provided a uh, report regularly. And this is the sixth assessment cycle starting from 2016 to this year. So this year, actually, uh, the entire cycle will be ended. And in IPCC, there are three working groups, and I'm mainly involving working group one, assessing the physical basis for the climate change and also provide the future projection depending on our choices in future. And then there are working group two, mainly assessing impacts, risks, and vulnerability of climate change. And working group three uh, is assessing the uh, policies and methods for uh, reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, so individual working groups provide uh, each working group report. And finally, there will be synthesis report integrating all three working group reports. And this synthesis report will be released uh, this September. And working group one report was released last August. And then working group two report will be released this February and three will be this March. So there will be a lot of news regarding impacts, risks of climate change, and also how we reduce greenhouse gases uh, early this year. Hannah, just turning to you on that, um, you know, your sense of what it was like for these working groups to have to meet online. How does that change the experience of the IPCC process? Actually, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to be uh, far away from my uh, audio. So the previously, the, as the Junie pointed out, the IPCC publishes the assessment report about every six to seven years 
and the and the most important uh, session is is the session where the assessment reports are approved by the panel. So in that the uh, session, very interesting things are being done. So every uh, uh, national delegate is reviewing uh, the assessment report, especially the SPM summary for policymakers. It is kind of abstracts for the whole paper, whole assessment report. So they review the uh, assess the SPM line by line, and then they uh, provide some comments, revision comment to the authors, and then the authors can accept those uh, provided comments, or they just argue, review that the comments uh, to the panel. So uh, through this very prolonged process, uh, finally the assessment report were adopted adopted and approved by the panel. So that kind of process needs a lot of discussions, very intensive discussions among the delegates. But however, due to this uh, very specific uh, situation, the pandemic, uh, we, cannot but fight, uh, we cannot but meet each other online. But uh, this uh, online meeting can, uh, change the communication mode among the delegations, how the breakthroughs uh, should be made among the, uh, the delegates when the issues are conflicting to each other like that. Junyub, let me just ask if you wanted to add anything to that. And, and I'm wondering, how does it actually change the flow of communication? I mean, is there often you know, hallway conversation or side conversations that take place that can't happen because you've moved into the online format? Or, you know, how does it really change the nature of the interaction? So actually it changed a lot. Uh, so uh, for this time, uh, last August, we had the first online approval process, but also we need to consider the different time zone. So usually the appro uh, approval session is for one week. But we had a two-week time. And then also, uh, as you mentioned, uh, we have a main plenary. And then there were many different online meetings among authors and also among delegates. And also we meet all together. So it was really active through online platform uh, and very much different from the regular approval session. Uh, but at this time, actually, I'm imbibing as author of IPCC report, and Hana was involved as deleg government delegate to review the report. Uh, then uh, this is my first time to involving IPCC process, but also I have many colleagues uh, who already had a lot of IPCC experience before. Hmm. And they told me that actually uh, they have little difficulty this hmm. time for the approval session because we have a much longer period and uh, between meetings, we also had a lot of author discussion uh, for you know, uh, responding the reviewer's comment. So uh, for me, it was really difficult two weeks <laughs> in my life, but uh, since, uh, since we can use a lot of different online platform and since we can have more discussion among authors, uh, so actually it, 
and some point it helps uh, for the process of approval. Uh, Juni, let me stay with you just for a second. So what are the headlines from the, to the extent you can share them with us from the uh, Working Group 1 report, you know, the, the main points? Uh, so there are uh, many important points, but uh, I think the most important message is that recent changes in the climate are widespread, rapid, and intensifying, and unprecedented in thousands of years. And we are already in the global warming of 1.1 degrees Celsius. And it is also indisputable that human activities are causing climate change, making extreme climate events, including heat waves, heavy rainfall, drought, more frequent and severe. And the second important message should be the future of the climate is in our hands. Unless there are immediate, rapid, and large-scale reductions in greenhouse gas emissions, limiting warming to close to 1.5 degrees Celsius or even 2 degrees Celsius will be beyond reach. Even with the immediate reductions in greenhouse gas emissions, it could take 20 to 30 years to see global temperature stabilization. Then the last but not least, some of recent changes already set in motion, such as continued sea level rise are irreversible over hundreds to thousands of years. I think those three are important key messages of Working Group 1 report. Uh, they're powerful messages and very clear, and, and it makes me think about you know the first IPCC report, um, which I uh, taught and talked about with students and taught uh, back in the fall. And the language of the first paragraph of the first IPCC report is, it's alarming, but it's not definitive. Mm -hmm. um, and what you've just described is a, is a complete world away from that, from that first IPCC report. Hannah, let me come back to you and ask you about, you know, uh, Junyi was talking about this unprecedented process of trying to carry this all out with an extended time period online, um, unable to carry on the kind of dialogue that had gone on in the past where people are are meeting in person. Did that lead to any problems in actually approving the assessment? Or was there some hesitation in that? I don't think so. I don't think so. Actually, to the delegates, uh, I, uh, I record my the experiences. I started participating in the sessions, the IPCC sessions, starting uh, from the 2017, uh, when the IPCC's panels uh, began the approval of the outlines of the each assessment report of the sixth cycle. So I uh, participated in several of the IPCC sessions during the uh, cycle. And also I joined that the 1.8 special report approval session. But still, it is much harder compared to the 1.5 special report approval session. It is because the session <laughs> was the prolonged the longer the time and also the time schedules were really crazy due to the strong request from different continents like Africa and Europe so the 
timelines were really crazy for the approval session. So therefore, from perspective of the South Korea, we need to we need to join that the meetings like in the middle of the midnight or or two a.m. or six a.m. six a.m. like that. So I attended that meeting in a coma status. So it was pretty hard. Uh, but however, however, still. That that kind of situation was pretty similar to the pre previous uh uh the approval session one point five special report at that time even at that time uh the national delegate delegate should stay up all night to uh participate in the the approval session it is because the almost all the lines were accepted approved since before. The end of the session, so <laughs> that was the normal. So, but still, still, the prolonged uh the session was much harder to me. That uh, the way you're describing it, um, you know, what an honor to be involved with it, and then what a burden to have two weeks in which you basically had to flip your entire schedule upside down. Um, I guess I had never really. Thought of that, you know, in this, in the sense that, of course, climate change is a completely global planetary phenomena. Mm -hmm. But for the purposes of IPCC work, at least during that time, people from around the world come together and share one time zone, and then they go back to their parts of the world. This is the first time it's been truly global in its engagement, I guess. Juni, let me come to you on that because I'm curious. How did the, if you could tell at all, how did the individual experiences? People, you know, based on what's happening in COVID, with COVID in their country, did that color at all the conversations? Did that, you know, what were they bringing to the table? Because COVID in South Korea and COVID in the United States and Brazil have been wildly different experiences. Did that come through at all in your discussions? Yeah, actually, it was. Uh, so the process uh, started uh, from 2018. So actually. Uh, usually in the IPCC report process, uh, there are four lead author meetings, all in person before. Then actually working group one, we were lucky because we had a uh, in-person meeting for three times. Then this COVID happened. Then we have this online meeting just for the last lead author meeting. Uh, then uh, due to uh, the COVID uh, situation, we had more online meeting. And every meeting uh, in the early 2020, you know, this COVID situation was the big issue. And then we actually concerned a lot uh, with uh, our colleagues, you know, stay in Italy or uh, other places where, you know, pandemic situation were really severe at the time. And some of my colleagues in Italy and some part of Europe, they actually got COVID at the time, early 2020. So actually, we were concerned a lot and it delayed the process a lot because there were uh, uh, other cases as well in other chapters. So it affected a lot for our uh, report writing process. And then also the COVID pandemic affected the global greenhouse gas emission, you know. So we actually had a COVID box in the report and how COVID affect the climate and weather situation during 2020. Uh, and it, it was a very urgent issue and we believe 
it uh, was quite important for us to assess uh, how the situation affects the issue of climate. Uh, so we decided to include those issues. So yeah, I can tell that yeah, COVID influenced a lot for IPCC report process. Mind listeners that you're tuning in to COVID calls, and today we're talking about COVID and the IPCC process and climate change with Junyi Lee and Hannah Kim. And Hannah, let me come back to you, particularly on this point that Junyi was just raising um, about the ways that we can see the impact of COVID uh, in this way the IPCC process was taking shape. I'm, I'm curious, you know, about another aspect of that was just what do you learn from the pandemic that perhaps changes the way or alters the way you think about what's possible with climate change action? And I, and I ask this particularly because, you know, in those first three months, uh, four, three, four months, when many parts of the world, not here, but other parts of the world were going into strict lockdowns, and people were really curtailing their activities. Um, that seemed to me to indicate that some of the things people had said would never be possible for climate action, uh, that some of those things would be possible, curtailing travel. Um, and of course, I'm not saying at all that we should want a pandemic or some horrible event to force us into climate action, but it did show some possibilities there. And I wondered if you wouldn't mind speaking to that. Yes, yes. Actually, the Junie pointed out some uh, bad things of the uh, the holding uh, holding those the events online. But however, I found some the uh, benefits, the environmental benefit from holding this kind of environmental conferences online. So it is quite straightforward. So the actually, I was a the engineering student. Uh, but however, I changed my the discipline from engineering to the environmental policy. So due to the uh, experience to participate in the COP10, it was quite long time ago as an observer like Greta Thunberg. But, uh, but after then, I, when I uh, grew up, the, I had opportunity to attend the COP24, the held in Katowice. Poland in 2018. As you know pretty well, the COP, the Conference of Parties of the UNFCCC, is a really huge event. So a lot of people from all over the world participate in that event to see what kind of the dialogues are going on and to see uh, what a kind of dialogue dialogues were the, uh, delivered by the uh, high-level policymakers from the important countries. But however, that carbon footprint related to that the events always made me com uncomfortable. But, uh, and also, 
But however, the from perspective of this kind of environmental footprint, so this kind of online platform, I believe, can provide some kind of new venue to make some breakthrough to neutralize or the uh, reduce or offset the emission related to the holding that environmental related conference international conferences so and also i believe this kind of technology based approach can provide better representativeness of developing countries in the negotiation process of course uh the when it comes to the ipcc uh sessions when the the uh, the panel was discussing the uh, mood of the holding the uh, IPCC approval session at that time there were concerns from the developing countries in terms of the internet connection issue due to their the specific uh situation of their countries but i believe some countries have some issues in the internet connection but i believe still but however still there will be some kind of opportunity to enhance the better uh, the representativeness of the developing countries or un, uh, uh, the least developed countries in terms of climate negotiation or climate uh, the other environmental related negotiation process that is good thing at least uh, to the uh, CO2 uh, the carbon negotiation process so and quite a narrow answer to your no, question a, yeah really interesting insights mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. COP10 was in 2011 yeah so you... uh, COP10 was 2004 oh 2004 okay yeah. wow. okay mm -hmm. so you so you have been to two COP meetings then. So you actually yes. have gotten some way to see in the distance of time how, how these discussions have evolved. I'm fascinated by your insight too about this discussion because I think it's taken place in many different domains about mm -hmm. what um, doing something remotely enables, what it inhibits and what it enables. Mm -hmm. And of course, if one of the values of the IPCC is, is sort of leading the way in terms of showing how adaptation could work, then uh, avoiding, uh, you know, international flights when they can be avoided is one of the ways that that, that can be done. That's a really powerful example, I think. Junyi, you participated in the COP26 this, this year, yes. last, last year? Yeah, last year, uh, uh, November. And that was my first time to attend COP. Uh, COP. Yeah, in Glasgow, uh, right? Yeah, Glasgow. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting. And actually, uh, so... People say it was not that successful to have a more ambitious plan uh, uh, for individual nation, but I see that actually there has been advances uh, compared to the previous COP. And even though uh, see this national plan to reduce greenhouse gas by 2030 is not enough to fill the gap and to reach our long-term goal. But I see there are some uh, uh, kind of uh, step forward uh, to reach our goal. And then actually, I'd like to add one point regarding uh, the implication of COVID for limiting climate change. And it has an important implication. Uh, then now in Korea and uh, many countries, we are talking about carbon neutrality by 2050. And also Korea also has this plan. But we don't know how hard it is to reach uh, the aim 
and to reach carbon neutrality by the year of 2050, we need to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emission around 5-7% compared to the previous year. And this is a huge mission we have to do. Then in 2020, due to COVID uh, lockdown measures, actually the global carbon dioxide emissions declined by 7% in 2020 compared to 2019. It indicates that it will be difficult, but we still have a chance to limit global warming to below 1.5 or 2 degrees Celsius. But the problem is it was temporary reduction. Then after that, it going back, uh, going up again. And 2021 emission will be similar level to 2019. So I think we can learn from this COVID lockdown situation. And also we can estimate uh, uh, our effort or our action to do for the next several years to limit global uh, climate uh, climate changes. So a couple of important points to me in what you're describing there. One is just that it's the proof of the concept that if you, that emissions can be slowed. I mean, just to show that it can be done. Um, and so that's one thing. But the other speaks to the sort of collective action aspect of this. And, and it's something I wanted to ask you, um, Hannah, let me come to you first on this, just about human behavior. You know, I mean, I you mentioned Greta Thunberg a minute ago, and, uh, and I've talked about this with others on COVID calls, but um, I remember in 2019 that that COP meeting, there was a real, I think, a, de- a real depression. I mean, you know, Australia, the United States, Brazil were were either boycotting or not participating in any meaningful way. And the Trump administration had basically, you know, pulled out of the Paris Accord. I mean, it was a really bad time in, in, in terms of thinking about the efficacy of IPCC. And, of course, the climate marches, the student climate marches had happened that last fall. Um, and, but then to, of course, in the context of the pandemic, but still to see that people could engage in this collective action around the pandemic, right? To save lives, ultimately, to try to save lives of people you would never meet. Um, I felt like that gave a boost. I'm speaking of myself here, but it, it seemed to me that, that that showed some possibility for collective action that maybe people had given up on. So maybe, I don't want you to talk me out of that, but I wonder what you think about that. and and maybe sort of translate a little bit into how you think about activism, you know, and how this pandemic period might give a boost to activists and the politics around climate change. Okay, when it comes to South Korean case, so for the first year of the pandemic, uh, like in 2020, uh, the many environmental group activities were the challenged. So according to the interviews with uh, the energy cooperatives in Seoul, South Korea, when I conducted a research uh, the project regarding the energy cooperatives in Seoul, so conducting campaigns and the community events like running educational programs or the community awareness outreach programs were delayed and delayed, delayed several times and then canceled out. So the, uh, however, I believe that in 2021, 
the although the physical events are limited, still more limited, and even in South Korea, our the situation is much better compared to other countries. But I thought people got through this based on the ITs, so we can see a lot of the current news to. Uh, promote the involvement in the uh, individual activities in uh, their household. So uh, I believe I believe it is related to the uh, recent uh, the strong ep- emphasis on the carbon neutrality of the South Korean government, as pointed out by the Professor Juni Lee. So, and also the recent popularity of the ESGs, the media broadcast the climate change related news and the documentaries very frequently. So, therefore, I think this is attributed to the increased, uh, this, uh, attributed to the increased frequencies and intensities in the climate change impact. So, people's awareness of the climate change has been increased increased even under this situation so so i can see a lot of commentaries uh the attached to the youtube video clips and Hmm. then and and then they feel some kind of the sometimes sometimes they feel uh, like a less efficacy in terms of the climate change, uh, environment, the participation is because they know nowadays they know the how it is severe, how it is so serious. But however, I can see frequently this kind of commentary. So then what we should do? That kind of commentaries can be found very frequently. So, Nowadays, so therefore, the, a lot of the internet card news are trying to provide what to do in their household, what what can be done by uh, every citizen. So mm. that is current movement in the South Korea, I think. That's uh, Thank you for that. It's so interesting, too, because those kinds of discussions dovetail with the ways that people have been asked to participate in the COVID protection measures you know so so this idea of a of a shared governmental goal which requires community level and individual level action mm. is something we've heard about with climate change for a long time but but covid actually shows that you have to do it and mm. and of course in south korea people have been doing it unlike maybe in the united states but um so interesting i just want to remind guests you're listening to covid calls and i'm talking today with hannah kim and Junyi lee about the ipcc Processes. One other aspect of that, Juni, I wanted to ask you about this um, and whether or not the IPCC is looking or will be looking at the connection between climate and COVID in, in this way, perhaps, that climate change might have made um, zoonotic spillover more possible, that um, you know, where animals are in their populations and where humans are in their populations are changing as a result of climate change, and that that pandemics like this one or potentially future pandemics are also connected with climate change. It's not necessarily an obvious linkage, but seems like the science has been moving that direction. Is that on the table for IPCC? So as far as I understand, uh, Working Group 2 report uh, assess those aspects. And we have increasing evidence for the connection between those pandemics occurrence under global warming. So, uh, uh, I don't know yet, but probably we can see more evidence in the working group two report coming this February. Uh, 
And then anyway, uh, this is a very important issue worldwide right now, not just the IPCC, but now I see that many researches regarding these uh, issues. So I think we can hear more about those linkages. Then also I see that there are a lot of similarities between pandemic and climate change issues. Uh, then I think we need to further assess uh, the similarities and how they link each other further. So uh, let, let me just shift gears here for a second. I, I want to talk with each of you a little bit about your individual research. I mean, we've been talking mostly about IPCC here, but um, you know, Hannah, let me ask you first. I know a little bit about it because I'm your colleague and I'm fascinated by the work that you do, but I'm curious Maybe you could talk a little bit about some of your current work and um, where it's headed. And and I guess I'm asking also because I'm curious how you've had to adapt the work to cope with COVID. Ah, actually, <laughs> that is quite good question. Actually, currently, uh, I'm working on the some quite uh not that large the two uh the kind of the experimental the research project where the about 200 households are participating in. So those households with the smart meter, so here smart electricity meter uh, uh, means it gives the hourly electricity consumption data to the participating household with the smartphone applications. So, but however, we cannot meet that the to conduct the uh, research and already survey so but however as you know pretty well to provide a financial the incentives for the participating uh, the household we need to get some the uh signatures of the participants <laughs> that kind of the administrative works really become really headaches so we are uh doing uh we are changing our mode by doing those the uh, collecting those the uh, the uh, constant uh, doing the that that agreement form through the online and also we already making some we, we constructed chatbot cacao talk chatbot so to uh, communicate with the participating the household and to provide the uh, information uh, uh, directly from our the uh, research group to the participating the household. So we are, I believe, we are put more times than it should be uh, the conducted uh, in a physical way. So did it have any impact on the response rate? Uh, actually, up to now, up to now. Uh, <laughs> we provide a quite a strong the incentives for the participating the household, mm. so it did not affect the uh you know the uh the participation rate. But however, when we mobilized the uh, participant at that time, we received a lot of the complaints, calls from the <laughs> the tentative participants. It is because they are dubious. Who, who we are. So they really <laughs> want to know the Professor Hana Kim is really the member of the KAIST. So they contacted the school. <laughs> so, yeah. 
that that was that is kind of so the dean is fielding calls to verify that you are indeed yes, yes. uh yeah i understand that and the smart meters are ones that give residents a chance to actually monitor their electricity usage in real time and so we're trying to understand if they will change their behaviors with more information is that correct yes right yes right but the yeah yeah cell phone by using cell phone what's your working hypothesis right now so but uh, because or if you don't you, want to talk about it it's okay no, it yeah, could be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's, so, uh, go ahead. if you want to yeah. say anything it's okay but i don't want you to give away the results oh uh, no 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 <laughs> it is okay but uh my hypothesis uh the the people with the high stronger norm self-norm in terms of the environmental protection or the other the things in the case they will show some kind of the, the better uh or the advanced patterns the in terms of the uh in terms of electricity consumption compared to the other groups that is my hypothesis but the, the kind of the changes could not be found especially in the spring season it is because in south korea the electricity rate are the relatively much much relatively lower than the other OECD countries so the in the spring season there is quite no incentives for the uh Households to reduce their the electricity consumption. So, but but I hope I hope some the pro environmental household sustain their their electricity conserving activities in their household. Junior, let me turn to you and 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 see if maybe you can tell us a little bit about your quite fascinating research program. I mean, you're an atmospheric you come from an atmospheric sciences background and you work on Earth system predictability. But what kind of studies are you working on? Uh, so my uh, major interest is the climate change in the next 10 to 20 years. We are also the natural climate variability contribute in addition to human-caused climate change. Uh, then, uh, so actually we can understand uh, easily because, you know, our uh, climate this year is quite different from last year, right? There is a lot of interannual variability, also mm. interdecadal variability, uh, where natural climate variability play important role. That is including some uh, forcing from solar variation, volcanic eruption, as well as internal climate variability inside the climate system. Mm. Uh, then also I'm interested in some marine ecosystem and terrestrial ecosystem, which include wildfires. By marine heat waves and other biochemical cycles like CO2 flux uh, in the ocean and atmosphere uh, uh, interface, something like that. So those are my main in research interests. And now I'm involving the IBS Center for Climate Physics located in Busan National University. And here we have really good team. Hmm. Uh, our director is Axel Timoman uh, from Germany. And we have about 40 research scientists worldwide. Uh, so we have a really good team and we are using our own supercomputer for mm. climate modeling and climate prediction. So do you have a few key sites around the world that you use as sentinels to collect information, a few key sites that you're monitoring over time, or do you approach it in a different way? So, you know, uh, in terms of climate data, we have a really good monitoring data set from satellite. 
and also we have many, you know, site information. So uh, uh, we have really well covered climate data, and this is really big data we are having. So many uh, observational data from satellite and ocean observation and also uh, inside observation. So we are collecting all those information and analyzing the pattern of climate variability and changes from the observation. And also we are doing climate modeling. So we are comparing this model simulation with observation and using some different future scenarios we are doing some prediction for future climate evolution. I see. And in terms of South Korea, where do you expect the greatest impacts? Will it be in coastal zones or in areas that are going to be more prone to wildfire? Or it may be many effects, I'm sure. But what are you looking at more, most closely? Uh, so basically, we are uh, 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 first working for temperature and precipitation change. Uh, then for the temperature, we see more increase in the inland and mega cities, mm. but there will be more flooding event across the you know, coastal regions. So Busan is one of the hot spots. So there will be increase in the heat levels, but also maybe increase in the sea level and also uh, more coastal flooding event, something like that. And maybe in the desert area, also uh, I think you are having more increased frequency of extreme rainfall event. And yeah, it will continue uh, in future. And have you had to adapt the way your team works because of COVID? Uh, so, uh, so in Busan right now and working space, actually we are doing no more, hmm. you know, work. Uh, but uh, for uh, we are still have an online meeting stay among us because we are more than 40 people so we cannot meet all together but still we can do uh, normal working here and then yeah uh, collaborating each other so that uh, we are uh, yeah affected by covid but not much compared to the other part of the world i think we're almost up on time in our conversation today with hannah kim and Yi lee i just want to give um, each of you a, a chance if there's anything we didn't talk about you wanted to you wanted to raise, and I guess my final question to you is um, this incredible process that you described of working on the IPCC during the pandemic. Um, Hannah, I mean, do you want to? Is this something you want to keep working with? Do you see yourself continuing to be engaged in this kind of global climate science diplomacy? I mean, it's such an undertaking, um, and I wonder if you plan to keep doing it. Actually. <laughs> I expressed my my the willingness uh to resign <laughs> resign the advisor role. It is because the working online is uh working online is hard to the junior uh the faculty member especially and also uh especially when it is done online, I cannot be separated from my own work. So they, in the daytime, I need to work for the school. And, and also uh, in the nighttime, I need to work for the IPCC. But and also this year, this 2022, it is kind of super year for the IPCC. There are three... <laughs> assessment report including synthesis report should right. be approved so it will be crazy so i cannot attend all the the meetings so i expressed 
I will resign <laughs> uh, for this advisor role. It is really honor for me to work for the IPCC and the learn from the many experts and the I really admire their aspiration for this uh, participation. It is because they are not uh, being paid at all. They are the voluntarily contributing to this process. So I really admire uh, the for uh, admire of the the their uh, the contribution. But I currently am mm. a the junior professor. The after being the <laughs> secured, and then I want to be rejoin the this process, and, and also I want to contribute to this process as well. Well, thank you for that. And that's a that's a twenty four hour cycle of work that's not sustainable. Yes. So um, I'm sure you'll rejoin it in the in the future. Chunyi, what about you? Is this you know as Hannah just said, we're moving into a, the twenty twenty two. We're in it super year. Are you exhilarated by that, or are you already tired? <laughs> yeah, I'm. You just see the busty excited a lot, and this is a fantastic experience. So I feel I'm really lucky to involve many IPCC process. I was a coordinating lead author for Working Group 1 report, and now I'm working for Synthesis Report as co-writing team member. And yeah, as Hannah mentioned, actually every day I have at least one online meeting, usually during midnight. <laughs> uh, and also, yeah, I need to have a regular walk uh, in my school. So this is a really tired walk, but I'm learning a lot, working with many people in the world. And now in the synthesis report, I'm mainly climate scientist, but I'm you know working with uh, people in other fields, in policies, economies, impact, impact, and many other things. So uh, for me, this is a great opportunity and. Yeah, I'd like to continue to involve and contribute to this activity. And especially, you know, being an author is really honor. And I was selected, but I think I was selected because I'm kind of a relatively young Asian woman scientist, uh, which is not that many. <laughs> uh, uh, so I think, yeah, I feel really lucky, but also this is a fantastic job. So I really want Many young people uh, want to challenge it, uh, to be authors or even, you know, a government delegate uh, of this IPCC report because individual process and step, uh, you can learn a lot from that. I just want to remind everyone you've been listening to COVID calls and you can usually catch COVID calls live at 6 p.m. Eastern time. This has been a special COVID calls at 5.30 p.m. Korea time. And uh, this was a, a two-a-day COVID calls day for me. I talked with Kevin Coakley this morning from the University of Texas, Austin, about the COVID-19 racial justice syndemic. I hope you'll get the chance to go back and watch that episode. And please join me at 6 p.m. Eastern time, January 13th. So for people in Asia, that's, um, that's tomorrow morning. Uh, when I'll be talking with Jason Abeluk, who's an economist at Yale, we'll be talking about uh, recent research on the efficacy of face masks. So Hannah Kim and Junyi Lee, what an honor to talk with you and to get this sort of insider information about IPCC in this extraordinary time. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank, Thank you. you very much for having us today. And also, I'm really enjoying <laughs> uh, also hearing from Hannah as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.
as well. Stay, do you? Stay healthy, everyone. We'll see you next time on COVID Calls. 